And I think that's one other huge opportunity that female sleuths have is having to combat gender bias. The sleuth has to overcome it. And one awesome opportunity that a lot of amateur female sleuths have is to blend in essentially with their own stereotype. So using that aesthetic, using the vanity to their advantage actually kind of combats it in itself. And it's actually a beautiful thing because you're using, you know, what stigma do you have against you to use to fight your way through and actually investigate successfully. Welcome to Speculative Sandbox, your audio playground for creative storytellers. My name is Vicki Lawn, and each episode, I and a guest will unpack a fiction trope with an eye for character development and narrative structures. Make sure to look for Speculative Sandbox on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter, where you can join the conversation. Leave comments or questions, or let us know what other tropes we should cover. When the real world just doesn't cut it, let's get lost in a fictional one. Brittany Sweeting, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. And I think our listeners will be excited to continue the mystery conversation that we've had this season where we talked about whodunits and suspects. And today we're going to talk about female sleuths. So let's start with uh, you introducing yourself and telling our listeners all about you and your latest projects. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me because I absolutely love your podcast. I love that it's so much um, amazing topics that I don't usually see actually in podcasts. I think you're kind of paving the way for a lot of amazing topics and writing. Um, Thank you. But I'm Brittany. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm Brittany Sweeting. Um, I go by BK Sweeting, just short acronyms, just to shorten my name with my writing. Um, I'm the author of Pearlized and Bubbly by the Sea. So I have um, two different projects going on that are like consistent over really the past like five to 10 years. Um, I usually write very, either very dark or very light. My poetry is really light and um, I guess borders like on inspiration. And then my fiction is mystery thrillers. And so I'm continuing the Pearl Eye series with my novel, Etherealized. It's, it's, a little more of a slow burn so it's a little more creepier than action-packed than uh, other thrillers um but yeah I'm 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 from California and I lived in New York for a decade so I can technically call myself a New Yorker <laughs> and Which one do I'm you in... like more New York or California oh god that's a dangerous yeah <laughs> so dangerous because I actually have half my family there and half here but I actually I, I love both because California, I, I I would say that I absolutely love the weather. However, with climate change, we have a lot of wildfires here. Mm -hmm. um, and then I guess I'm more speaking on the cons there. I just remember growing up with consistent like ice, icy roads, um, you know, whiteouts during the winter. So I like both though. Um, I actually genuinely like both because I, I love the feel of New York. I love the fall. I love the, um, I guess, really kind of, it, it's a little more family oriented and it's very free spirited here, um, but it's also very progressive with technology here. Um, and it's, even though we're behind three hours, we're a little more ahead in other aspects. Both are amazing. I, I love that. So basically you get the worst of both worlds when it comes to weather. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I have a friend who lives in California and he'll send me video messages and the sky's red and there's soot falling from the or ash falling from the sky and it looks yeah. like an apocalypse. And then of course you have like the extreme snow and the, you know the exact opposite conditions over in New York. Yeah. And sadly for my New York friends and family are actually experiencing what we did with the uh, um they have um ash and um smoky completely smoky oh, yeah. and really unhealthy I mean they're also getting it so from the Canada fires right yeah really yeah. bad my my friend just sent me a photo the other day and it was complete like haze and smoke and I was like oh gosh I didn't think that you guys would experience what we do but wow. here we are <laughs> yeah 
Uh, it, what a world. Uh, we had in the year 2020, Southern Arizona, we our, our Mount Lemon, I've talked about this before, the whole mountain went up in flames. And that was the most terrifying thing I've ever seen. Like I live right next to this raging inferno kind of, you know, oh, it was, it was awful. But they, you know, it was, they kind of let it burn and they saved this town that's actually located on the mountain, which is like such a stunning feat. But during that time, the haze was so bad that the sun looked like the, the, the size of the moon, which if you really yeah. think about it, imagine the moon hanging in the sky and you're like, oh, the moon. No, no, no. That's the sun. Don't look directly at it. It's a little mind blowing. Yes. Yeah. We had that really bad um, in 2017 when I was actually just a mile from the um, coffee park fire, which destroyed an entire neighborhood um of homes and looking up at the sun was such a strange sight because it looked like just like a little like a little red bubble in a sky of gray it was it was actually terrifying looking um it was a terrifying experience but it it was the weirdest thing I've ever seen I I yeah I don't hope for that to ever happen again but well, especially on like a global scale where they talk about the the big disasters. I think they've, yes. what, was it like um, Yellowstone or is it Yellowstone? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I or like one so. of those massive earth changing things where you, you look up and you can't, the sun looks different worldwide because the entire earth is covered in haze or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, yeah. I hope we don't experience that again. We always get worried here with our summers if it starts getting too hot like we have we do have a a little bit of a heat warning right now but um yeah so do we (laughs) yeah I know (laughs) I was gonna say you probably definitely do as well you you guys are way hotter than we are oh I think it's gonna be 108 degrees on fourth of July and I'm working the whole day so outside it's gonna be fun um I'll live but or will I I don't know <laughs> I'm sending you cool thoughts. Oh, thanks. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. So I have some icebreaker questions for you just to get you warmed up. You ready? Yes. Okay. First one should be easy. Are you a sweet or savory person? Ooh, savory. Okay. Like cheese, <laughs> breads. I love I love cheese. I'm actually trying to stay away from bread. Um, but I absolutely love cheese. I'm a huge okay. cheese person. I even have a book called Cheese, Sex, and Death. So no, <laughs> so then I have a follow-up question then. Are you lactose intolerant? I don't think so. That's a that's I good. know as an adult that's a weird thing to say. I don't think so, but I don't drink like any whole milk or any kind of like whole dairy. Okay. The reason why I ask is because I am lactose intolerant and a lot of other lactose intolerant people I know still <laughs> eat cheese and drink milk <laughs> for circumstances because it is so good. Okay. Next question. If a company wanted their advertising to reach you, how would they do it? Would they actually reach you effectively. Email always. <laughs> okay. Email. So, but would that mean that you had to have subscribed to them in the first place? Yeah, I don't. Um, I mean, I do receive actually a lot of like outside communication, um, but I would prefer that I've reached out. I guess, I guess it would depend who it was. Okay. Um, if it was a publishing company. Oh, you, you're talking about marketing. Um, yeah. Like any, I mean, it works for authors as well that are trying to, you know, market their work, but yeah. What is the best way to reach today's modern audience? I am constantly trying to avoid ads at every moment. So then what is the best way, you know, to get people? Oh, I see. Um, that's a tough question. I, I'm not fairly certain what my preferences are on that because I don't think I prefer it (laughs) as far as if it, if it's, if it's not something that you want, if it's something that you do absolutely want, um, in marketing, I would say the best way is email. Um, I think email is so powerful and it's just a nice private way. I don't love the idea of DMS through Instagram or Facebook or any other way. I think if you're really trying to reach somebody though, maybe with videos would be really good. Um, videos, if you're going to go through socials, um, and then I honestly am very, very old fashioned with this, but I actually enjoy snail mail. 
Ooh, if, okay. if you sent me snail mail, I'm you're you already have me. <laughs> <laughs> but it has to like look better than coupons, right? Oh yes, dramatically. <laughs> we, Use good cardstock. <laughs> we my work did this one thing that we okay, so we really wanted to get public participation and have them tell us about a new park that we were going to build. And we were worried that we would, you know, the survey uh, outcomes and statistics and all of it, that they tend to be really low. So we were like, what can we do to really grab people's attention? And so we sent out, first of all, the largest size postcard you can to all the residents in the affected area. And what we did was we designed one side of it with two dinosaurs running around with children flying uh, kites. (laughs) And it said, tell us what you want to see in our new dinosaur breeding facility. And then you turn it around and it goes, oh, that's not what you want in your new park? Well, then tell us what you do want. And then there's a link to the survey. We had like a record amount of feedback Gosh, that, that one I, time. I love that. I love that. That's So that's actually, I guess what I was slowly, very, very slowly getting to is I would prefer something like physical like that. And that would have, that would have had me too. That's amazing. Okay. So the topic is female sleuths. So let's first define what a sleuth is. I looked it up online. Here are the definitions I got. Would love to hear your interpretation. So the first one was a person who investigates crimes, semicolon, a detective. And then another site had two definitions. One was to act as a detective and search for information. And two was to search for and discover. So all you know around the world of investigating and look, looking stuff up. What do you think of that definition? I think you're spot on. Um, I think like my take on it is, I think everybody knows what a sleuth is, but it was actually very fun looking up definitions for this specifically. Um, One thing that I love is that it's a verb and a noun. I absolutely love that you could say you're sleuthing. (laughs) This is now my (laughs) new thing. Um, Totally going to add that into my vocabulary. Um, it's something that you can do, or um, you would follow a trail, or you would be somebody who is a sleuth. Um, and then, of course, it's usually someone who's like in law enforcement, a police officer, a detective, or a private investigator, and the list goes on. Um, and I just I love the like, your sleuthing. <laughs> I've always felt like sleuthing was an older term, but that's because the first time I was ever introduced to it was when I was reading Nancy Drew at the age of seven and she was called a sleuth. And so, you know, like yes. a retro feel of Nancy Drew, um, because I never like, even right now I work with police officers and we have detectives. I never hear them use the term sleuth. <laughs> so I, I'm like, is it is the word sleuth? old-fashioned it's is it definitely old-fashioned okay so if, if you and I were to start our own investigative agency would we use the word sleuth in any of our in our marketing or d- descriptions um totally I think everything that is old is new and people are constantly looking and trying to gravitate like to something that feels comfy cozy familiar but they don't really know what it is but it, and then that makes it cool yeah, absolutely. I, I I love that idea and being able to like create fun um, alliteracies. Is it alliteracy? Alliter- alliterations. <laughs> yes, <laughs> With the word sleuth, like sassy sleuths, or I don't know. Um, oh my well, gosh, I we love that. <laughs> sassy sleuths. So I've already mentioned Nancy Drew. Um, I figure we can just name some of the fictional female sleuths and then go into like what does it mean to be a female sleuth so nancy drew was my first exposure actually probably the one responsible for me writing because my very first piece after i was five and i would write my own picture books but my first actual sit down with a typewriter um i guess i'm (laughs) aging myself a little bit here um i sat down with a typewriter and my first story was like a one-page nancy drew fanfic i was like i'm gonna write about nancy i'm gonna give her an adventure so she's she's old school but she she continues to progress because I think there's now a tv show there was a movie um so she keeps evolving I think she really speaks to the modern audience and then I have Veronica Mars which I've never watched but I would remiss if I be remiss if I left her out and then Dana Scully who is a detective basically of the paranormal and she was like the level-headed one right like Mulder was the one that was super conspirator okay I remember that she was like very cynical about 
everything, which I think works for the purpose of the story. Um, Enola Holmes starring. Oh gosh, yes. What is her name? <laughs> I can't believe I'm all the Gen Zers will hate me right now. I can't remember the actress who plays her from Stranger Things. Oh, uh, um, Millie Bobby Brown. Yes, Millie Bobby Brown. I think she does a great job as Enola Holmes. And um, what is what really what they focus on there too is that she's a detective working within the con- constraints of what society's placed on her and her gender. So um, that's really interesting to watch. And then the last one I have on my list is Jessica Jones, who is a Marvel detective. She has her own investigative agency. Um, and the reason why Jessica Jones means a lot to me is because that was the first time I watched a show and was truly terrified of the villain because of what the villain was doing. Have you seen Jessica Jones? I have not. No, but it, it looked really, really appealing. Do you want me to tell you? Well, I, well, I can tell you. Yeah, I, I can tell you stuff <laughs> that doesn't give away any endings. So the villain is, um, and I'm, of course, I forget everything while I'm talking about it. The villain is an ex-boyfriend who actually can control people like he can speak it and make it happen so it really speaks to like women in in, uh, positions of oppression when um like you're being told what to do and you do it out of fear because if you don't listen like well you have to listen to him but he can take it so far as to like telling you to put your hand in the 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 blender right and you would listen because he just has that's his power and um the fact that the way they they built this character it was so fearful, like from a woman's perspective, I remember thinking, wow, they've got it. They have really jumped into the psyche of that fear you have when you live in the city and you, you're not sure if the people around you or the men around you are safe, you know, like that idea. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Thinking of your list and looking at my list and they're very, very similar okay. with the exception of her. And now I'm like, now I need to go watch that. <laughs> yeah. Highly recommend. I, I didn't finish the second season. Um, I, but I think the first season is a really good packaged story, um, a really good beginning, middle and end with stakes that as women, we can, that really uh, like gets inside our psyche. Uh, so yeah. Um, what's your list? Very similar to yours. I completely devoured Nancy Drew books. That was definitely my first exposure to a female sleuth, um, female amateur sleuth. Um, I also loved Hermione Granger and Harry Potter, which is yes. Popular. I loved that she was kind of that iconic child who basically got them out of trouble every single time mm-hmm. um, because of her knowledge. Um, and she had this intense curiosity to continue being a sleuth with them, these little amateur sleuths running around. And at least with modern, I guess, sleuths, one absolutely favorite brand new sleuth that I fell in love with was Kira Knightley in Boston Strangler. Oh. I thought that was like such a pivotal moment in like reporting back in back in the day. Um, she was a reporter and she was the first person to connect like the series of murders um, in the early 60s with the notorious ser- serial killer, of course. Um, And I thought, I was like, wow, that actually probably the most modern movie take on somebody in the past who was a phenomenal amateur sleuth um, and somebody who wasn't technically in law law enforcement. I thought that was insane. Um, And then, of course, I loved all the um, Nancy Drew books. There's a ton of different movies. There's more movies than books that I could, I guess, pick um that were like that are highlighted to me one that has always stuck with me is like Sandra Bullock and Murder by Numbers I that movie mm-hmm. I just love I feel like every thriller lover out there can go back to that but the way that they laid it out which is what my favorite is where there's like a string of clues and you have somebody who is like a strong female character that basically carries the entire weight of an Evan investigation um, against all odds. And I thought she was amazing in that. But it's kind of funny. I I, I love Dean Kuhn's books as well. Um, I started reading him, his books when I was in eighth grade, really young. Wow. <laughs> um, I know. Some he has some intense like, stuff. <laughs> I know. Most people are like, are you okay? <laughs> um <laughs> 
but I love his books. And one thing he he's kind of made a nice at least I would say 50-50 or at least a quarter to three-fourths. Um, he does include a lot of amazing um, female sleuths in his writing, which is not always easy when you typically have like a, a male protagonist. Um, so he has a like a pretty good list of um, at least detectives in his books in the different series. Um, but I would say that I don't actually see as many female sleuths in writing as I would like to. I see a lot of movies, but not as much so with fiction writing. You mentioned earlier, you you highlighted amateur. So let's talk about amateur versus detective. Yeah, absolutely. Difference? Oh, yeah. Um, so an amateur sleuth is non-professional and they're not paid. Um, so actually, I would say almost all everything that we mentioned, except for I'm not sure about... Um, the one show that you mentioned, I'm not sure if she's oh Jessica Jones. She's you hire her, so she would not okay. be an amateur. Yeah. So she, well, her cases are <laughs> like you come to her and you say, "I think someone's cheating on me." So you hire her and she goes and she collects the evidence and tails them and takes photographs and everything. So yeah, she's professional. Gotcha. Okay. So yeah, so amateur sleuth is like usually my actually favorite category of sleuth just because they could be great, they could be incompetent, but they're no matter what, they're going to continue investigating and they're usually at the crime scene but doesn't actually have that official tie to law enforcement. Um, and what I love about them even more is that they're ordinary people just kind of thrown into extraordinary circumstances, um, which they usually have very lovable but relatable characteristics. Whereas some people that are detectives or involved in law enforcement, um, they're not as relatable. They're hard boiled. I tend to see that <laughs> description a lot. Hard boiled detective. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So um, that's exactly why I love amateur sleuths. They're not, they're not professional. They're unpaid, but yet they still have this, this, this passion and this drive and this fire in them to just continue investigating. I love that. I, I feel like even if it's not an explicit mystery book, the amateur sleuth does come up a lot because many times the main character as part of whatever the story is about ends up having to do some sort of investigation and they don't know what they're doing. They're, they're flung into the circumstance. They make mistakes, like you said, and sometimes the mistakes are the best part because they, yes. can, as a result of the mistake, stumble into the truth, which, you know, progresses the story even further. Um, I, I agree with that. So like from, I guess, which do you, what do you like to write? between the two you do you like to write more amateur have you explored writing detective I actually haven't explored writing detective um I prefer amateur sleuths in both movies um writing and reading so that's kind of like my most experience in um I do like some of the like action thrillers where it is very like law enforcement driven, but um, just as for personal writing, I really like having these writing complex characters that are ordinary people. Um, and that's really something that I would love to see in real life too. But I also really appreciate good, solid quality detective writing. Um, it's just not something that I've ventured into yet. Okay. So then let's talk about the female perspective, the female part of our female sleuths episode. So what opportunities are there in st storytelling when the sleuth is a female? Um, there, There's actually a lot of opportunities. Um, but I would say that the biggest opportunity is romance. Um, when there is a female sleuth and you're kind of going against the gender bias here um, or I guess kind of like feeding into the gender bias when you have like a strong female protagonist and there's a budding relationship with an informant or a new offbeat character there is a really lovely like introduction and opening for love 
And then, of course, betrayal and complexity to the story. I think that it helps having a female sleuth because whereas, you know, if if it's a man or if it's a non-binary person, it's not typically like expected. But when there's at least a female sleuth, people who are interested in you know mysteries or cozy mysteries or spicy mysteries at least they can expect some of that romance um and one thing that I love is it really really helps immensely with character development you have that intrigue for either cozy or spicy fluff kind of sprinkled into your work and then it's like all those questions like will she actually be blindsided by the killer or suspect Will she falter when her heart breaks or like, will this newfound love spark confidence or will it highlight her weaknesses? There's so many different directions um, in storytelling when the sleuth is a female and you adding that romance factor is, I think, the biggest at least segue to kind of push the story along. That reminds me of a book series I read about a decade ago, I think. It's called Murder in High Heels or something like that. (laughs) I can't remember what it is, but it was a very like, you know, the main character is a woman and she's going, you know, she's kind of a a quirky, you know, and she's the, what do you call it? The the prototype. She fits that prototype of like. Um, light and friendly and bubbly and dealing with her drama that's going on in her life, a boyfriend that she can't seem to get a hold of, if I remember correctly. And then she just stumbles into the crime. I think she shows up someone's house, there's a body in the pool. I, and she interacts first thing with the police officer, the detective that gets assigned the case. And of course, this reinforces a lot of the things you've said earlier. She's not a professional. She's invested in it because she has a personal um, reasons to be. And she's naturally very curious. And so as the story progresses, she and this detective keep butting heads. But of course, she keeps going to all the crime scenes. So of course, they keep meeting again and again and again. So it's a, it's a typical like enemies to lovers kind of thing and I will I'm the first to admit like I ate that up (laughs) it was so much fun yeah I mean it's just so delicious when you have a plot that you don't I mean it's it's nice when you add some spice and fluff in there that takes you different directions that you didn't expect to go um I think that's like like just to add on to that that's kind of like the show um Wednesday with Jenna um how she I mean that's not spoilers that was a long time ago but the the fact that she ended up falling in love with the killer mm-hmm. it adds this extra layer of I think tension and I guess betrayal and I and I just love that I think people eat it up like crazy I mean that's like one of the number one shows on Netflix and that that specific writing led to that I don't think it would be as I think shocking you know in the end if mm-hmm. if she didn't at least have this budding romance with somebody who seemed so ordinary and kind and and it tip you know typically is somebody who is an informant or is kind of helping you in your investigation as a sleuth and then that betrayal is just as gut-wrenching <laughs> yes agreed uh, jumping over, and we can come back to romance if you like. I'm moving down my list of opportunities. One that I really like, one that I picked up from, you know, reading Nancy Drew, even just like the different way that women were back then and ex- life expectations on women. And then Enola Holmes was probably the most modern example. It's the opportunity to highlight systemic oppression and challenges um, for women. And so in Enola Holmes, she has a brother, right? It's Sherlock Holmes. And he has the privilege of being a man in England. And he can pretty much go anywhere he wants and deduce all that he wants and has access to a lot of things. And she has to spend a lot of time proving her worth because everyone immediately writes her off as like a dumb woman. And so um, she's able to, despite these challenges, still pursue the case and overcome a lot of those challenges, which is remarkable because she started off um, incon- inconvenienced. She started off at a lower level, basically, than if Sherlock was to start a case. 
And um, one example they had, what I think it was the second movie on Netflix, where there was an issue at the Matchbox factory and only women were able to work there. And I, I think it was, was it phosphorus? I can't remember what it is. Um, but something was making all the, the women sick. And so the, they were trying to do an investigation. And as she's investigating, you can tell that the company people really did not care at all about the yeah. women who worked on the matches. And so at one point she ha- goes undercover um, and at, while she's there, she risks her own life and to the same exact treatment and, and, and stakes that everyone else is enduring there. Um, and then later on, she has to kind of sneak her way into like a wealthy ball later. And so like, she has to be really dynamic, but it's all very kind of sneaky or do you know what I mean? Because yeah. she can't just out in the open, do the investigation. Absolutely. And I think that's one other huge opportunity that female Seuss have is having that, I guess, um, having to combat gender bias where this whole like stigma, women are weaker than men. She, the sleuth has to overcome it. And one awesome opportunity that a lot of amateur female sleuths have is to blend in essentially with their own stereotype. So Mm -hmm. using that aesthetic, using the vanity um, to their advantage actually kind (laughs) of combats it in itself. Um, And it's actually a beautiful thing because you're using, you know, what stigma do you have against you to use to fight your way through and actually investigate successfully and to put yourself in um, technically a man's world. Um, and I loved that about that character. And I love that movie, how she actually did, um, you know, slip into the workplace, the match factory effortlessly as a female, which that was absolutely horrible that they were getting sick and dying from the chemicals. And then she was able to effortlessly slip into, um, the ball despite her, (laughs) lacking um I guess her dialogue her her diction was off course with what the people expected of her there Mm -hmm. so she ended up leaving the conversation um but the aesthetic definitely um I think vanity does help female sluice absolutely that's a really good point about leaning into like the the stereotypes that define you in order to navigate the system. I think a, lo- a lot of the times where growing up and in different work environments and just expectations, the feeling and expectation that you have to be sweet, sweet yes. and agreeable, um, because if you are not those things, if you're more firm and just serious, you may be perceived, society may perceive you as being aggressive. And how, if depend, let's say you're working on a particular case where you're working with people who believe that. So now you have to, like, if you want to warm them up and to a point where you can get information out of them, you, you do have to lean into being as sweet as possible because the minute you start being like more, I guess, I don't even want to say authoritative, but just more forward, I guess, they might shut down to whatever it is that you have to say. Have you ever found yourself in a situation like that? Oh, absolutely. Um, I I still do actually, Um, especially with having a small business. I think it's, and and I actually completely agree with you where we're not really sure what kind of words are like privilege to use Mm -hmm. um, because we want to say aggressive, but we're actually just being professional and um, blunt and confident. <laughs> yeah. And, and the first thought that comes to me is when I am being very, I guess, forward with my needs and my wants, I feel like, oh my gosh, am I being too aggressive? Um, as far as aesthetics and like vanity in my looks, I have a lot of tattoos and most people don't know that. Um, and so you kind of like cover yourself up and to, to look more professional. And it's a very strange thing that um, as women, we consistently have like multiple sides to us. We're so layered because we're constantly trying to please and look a certain way and talk a certain way to come off as 
acceptable, I guess, per the situation, which is wild because men don't. Mm -hmm. You could literally be Adam Sandler who wears basketball shorts and t-shirts and Ugg boots and go into a meeting or write a movie and people will love you and think you're funny and you're great. And then he can also go to big business executives and pitch a movie to Netflix in the same attire, same demeanor. Um, we fight a thousand times harder. Um, and that's one thing that sleuths do have to feed into is their own stereotype. And I'm sure there will be a time and day where hopefully things even out and become equal. That's clearly not today, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely experienced that. I've always experienced that just because I, I've always been extremely creative driven and um, I like right out of, I think high school, um, like immediately out of high school, it's like, I'm going to get a bunch of tattoos. And so I know how they can come off as aggressive to some people and to other people. They're like, oh my gosh, that looks amazing. That's gorgeous art. That's what's the story behind that. Um, and so like looks wise. And then of course, I think communication comes to me naturally. So, but I think for a lot of women, they do have to extensively research better communication tips um, to appear more professional and acceptable in certain circumstances, workplaces being really sweet, extremely kind, very people-pleasing skills. Um, and I think that's just like such a, it's, I guess for lack of better words, it's just sad. It's a lot of work. Um, it's a lot of it's work. It's so much work. Yeah. To the point where it's very normalized, right? Like you don't even realize, you, you don't realize how much work it is until you experience the lack of having to do that work. Um, yes. Which you might only really see when you kind of get to understand, maybe you have a brother or like a guy friend or something and you tell them your experiences, they go, wow, I don't even have to think about that. And then you realize, wow, I've been doing a lot of work. Exactly. And I think what's amazing, though, about society today for a lot of women, we are unlearning things, horrible stereotypes, um, you know, unlearning these terrible like names and things that we grew up with, we would say with the guys, which is terrible. I mean, some people um, and then having to like unearth this understanding of, OK, this it let's let's start to peel back these layers and start to like I guess investigate on our own what way we want to be to everybody um and if it's not acceptable it's I think it's just something that I hope like I said would just smooth out over time but I think more women more than ever are starting to to rebel against these terrible stereotypes um I, I think it's like a beautiful thing, especially in media, because that's kind of the controlling driving force for at least the masses. Um, I mean, books are sort of doing it. I, I'm like looking at one of my books. It says feminists don't wear pink and other lies. Um, I just <laughs> I think it's exhausting, but yeah. we're sort of going in the right direction. Do you have any other opportunities before we move on to sleuthing in real life? Oh gosh. Um, sleuthing in real life. I found this one to be an interesting idea because there's a, there's a joke TikTok going around right now where they, they say like, if you're in a relationship and your girlfriend asks you a question, um, like, where were you Friday? You know, something like that. <laughs> she already knows the answer. She's just waiting to hear you tell the truth. I thought that was like a really interesting joke. Like, and people would, you know, reuse that in different contexts given their experiences. Um, but like diving into that, even like on a normal, like everyday, you know, where you're kind of observant, you have instincts, intuition, all those things where you're kind of sleuthing. Um, anytime you might kind of notice something a little off. So like something that simple. Um, also, I wrote something that was actually related to what you were talking about, where an investigation online, I put social media sleuthing of oh, individuals. Yes. Yeah. Like, let's say you, and I haven't had to worry about this for a very long time, but for <laughs> girls that have, you know, an ex that are dating someone new, and then they start looking up everything they possibly can about them on social media. So whether or not the, the intended outcome is for good or bad, 
you're still sleuthing and <laughs> they're amateurs about it, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, what are your thoughts on on sleuthing in real life? Um, so sleuthing in real life, like as far as relationships, I I try not to do that. I think it's really I, okay. I, I'll put it in a better perspective because I or at least I guess a more positive perspective. I think it's incredibly, incredibly important and almost essential to be an amateur sleuth when you're online dating. I think that is like absolutely essential. I think women are masters at this um, because they kind of have to be, which is like going back to kind of like a sad, sad topic, but um, having to not be scammed or to be like kidnapped or, or murdered or like, murdered yeah there's, um, no, there's like real life instances of that it's terrifying yeah. I think you kind of have to be I think you have to google I think you have to I think you have to look at people's phone numbers you've got to figure out like their back history which is so sad because like the most so to like I guess circle back as far as relationships I don't really want to see some like I'm not going to investigate like my prospect or my potential partner's life because I want to hear him tell me you know like all those like stories that are like meaningful to him I don't want to feed into a photo that I look at and then look at the caption of him with some friend that's a girl and then I look at all the little tags and then I search the tags and then I search the meaning behind the tags and <laughs> oh that sounds like a downward you know, spiral <laughs> that's just like that's like the sleuthing though that I think is really common and it's hard because there's like this intense social miscommunication between people when they do online sleuthing and that's just not something I'm into because I I anybody who's like a potential like boyfriend in the future for me I I want to hear the stories from him um and I don't I mean of course I want him to be who he who he says he is but I don't want to go through that sort of like I guess very, 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 very common amateur sleuthing that I know is really popular. Um, it's like an all-time high though, and it's almost becoming sort of like in a, an addiction for a lot of people. And you're not really actually knowing this, the person, your, your surface level. And like, if somebody was to amateur sleuth me on my socials, it would be hilarious because they'd be like, that's, I mean, I, I post a lot of stuff about like, Oceana and nobody really sees my tattoos and um I mean they wouldn't get the same version you know I'm I'm extremely active like in my own life and really I guess busy socially and with my family and I never post photos of my family because I just don't want to mix the business with my with my also with my bookstagram I just don't want to put that out there for everyone it's private and sacred so I they just unfortunately they wouldn't get that like online version of me so I don't want to misunderstand somebody else's and be I guess disappointed by expectations of misunderstanding their their surface level online it's so interesting so I met my now husband I met him in 2004 so before tinder before <laughs> we probably even like right at the beginning of texting I guess you can say when people started texting <laughs> mostly through um or dating I'm sorry through text and he doesn't have social media um so I I, I feel very lucky to not have to worry about some of the paranoia and, and worries and insecurities that I think a lot of modern daters have and I've I've also read books about modern like Aziz Ansari wrote one and I was really curious about like what does what does the environment seem because I hear from friends I hear from like, the younger generations and it seems like it's like, it's hard. It's challenging. Um, and I j joke with my husband all the time. I say, Eric, if anything ever happens to you, knock on wood, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going out there. It's a scary world out there. I've seen way too many things. I'm just perfectly fine sitting in my house with uh, my knitting projects and my books. But so then I guess going back to what you said about sleuthing for your safety, what would you consider to be meaningful sleuthing as compared to the downward spiral of trying to read into every little hashtag? Um, I think meaningful sleuthing, like if you're looking at a potential partner, um, yeah. would be to 
I guess that's kind of hard because like, I guess what I would love to see is like, I guess if they do have social pictures and stuff, it's kind of hypocritical because I don't post those moments. I really keep them on my phone and computer for me and my friends and my family. Um, but I, I think I would really enjoy, of, of course, to see like what they do outside of work. I would love to see those kind of pictures and more like what their interests are. Um, like music wise, I would, I would definitely do kind of like a, I guess, go down a rabbit hole and really look into somebody's playlist because music is like one of those very influential factors on at people's moods and the way they are and, and how they speak and I guess their interests. Um, I think that would be something that I would love to see is like music interests. Um, meaningful also, though, to looking like into, um, I guess, like how their family is. But it, it's, it's, it is kind of hard. Like, I mean, like you said, you're blessed. I, I, and also would love to say congratulations because that's a huge accomplishment in today's society uh, to be in a relationship where it is not based on these, you know, these online dating. It's really intense out there. And it is like, I totally envy that organic relationship. Um but so, I mean, I don't, I don't, I can't think of like a, a lot of meaningful sleuthing except for investigating for the sole purpose of protecting yourself, mm -hmm. um, like protecting your heart, of course. Um, I think it's just essential for women now. And it's, it's like a normal thing. It's not something that's, I would not consider that exhausting. I would consider that actually meaningful is just protecting yourself, your assets, your home, your family, your heart. Mm -hmm. Um well, and even like we're talking from the female perspective, and it's definitely something that is uh, thought of throughout like a lot of women who are dating. But I, for for those who may think this doesn't apply to men, or maybe men don't worry about this either. I know someone, a man who dated, who like had a date or some brought the woman over and she ended up spiking his drink and she was going to try to bring friends over to steal all of his stuff. Oh my so God. It's like that risk goes both yeah. ways. Um, absolutely. It, it's just when, like, I feel like when I talk, when I'm, you know, raising my girls right now and the things that we just teach already about everyday survival, right? When you're walking to your car in the middle of a parking lot and there's no one else there or it's nighttime, what do you do? Right. Versus my husband, who's like, oh, you have to think about that stuff. Well, yes, I think about that stuff. We're all, we teach each other that stuff. So yeah, it's, um, it's, it's a scary world out there for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And it does definitely go for men, anybody who's non-binary. It, it goes for all, all people, everybody who puts themselves in a very vulnerable position where you're opening your life up to a complete stranger online, not in person. Um, it's There's a million things that could stem from that and completely change your entire life. Um, and especially, I mean, that's one unfortunate part too, is that if you do have somebody who is a criminal and they do use, unfortunately, they're, they're being a female to target people into saying, Hey, would you like to meet at this hotel? And then they have somebody jump them and they do exactly like what you said is, um, robbing them. And I mean, it, it, I wouldn't say that's uncommon. I think in, in today's society, I don't really see it in the news, but I'm, 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 I'm sure that happens. Um, yeah, well, I'm sure there's a lot of shame. The idea that you probably feel like you need to show everyone that you're capable and that you can't be, you know, I, I, it's just general shame. And so I feel like a lot of these things can be underreported. Oh, absolutely. Especially, especially for men. I can, I, I, I'm sure that's actually severely underreported um, because it's probably embarrassing and like it, trying to break out of that, like, um, I guess, masculine mold that, you know, men also go through these terrible stereotypes where you've got to just like, like, oh, like a woman summoned you like, oh, come on guy. Like, that's not, like, like who cares? Like, like man up. It. Yeah. Man up. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I feel, I feel horrible for your friend though. 
it won and my friend didn't report it right I knew about it because oh. they felt they could trust me with that and maybe a lot of guys don't have that person in their life yeah. that they can trust um okay moving on to another form of sleuthing in real life I think everyone should do a little more sleuthing when it comes to current events and looking at everything with a critical eye especially when there's so many fabricated and misleading information that's getting published every which way um what like and, and that could be as simple as checking the source of whatever account you happen to be looking at swiping through there's a lot of um tabloids that look suspiciously like legitimate news sources now because you <laughs> yes. can't tell on a social media post right we used to be able to tell by where they're they're listed in a grocery store and like the quality of the paper and the graphic design that they use and they blend in with every other news account when you're swiping instagram or twitter so i think um that's what's led to and a lot of people are being purposefully misleading so we as individuals it's so important to double check all that information that is the number one meaningful <laughs> Uh, sleuthing for people. Um, always, I think the biggest thing people do not look at, which is the number one thing they should be looking at is the date, mm. the source, researching that name. Um, if you have to, going to archives. Um, and I, I just, I think people always miss the date. And then it becomes this thing that's trending and crazy. And then there's one person in the comments and they're like, uh, did you see this was from the state and the source isn't real and that they're closed or they never existed, period. Um, that is definitely the most meaningful um, sleuthing I think people need to do. There's such an incredible amount of like even on my own feed I'm like where did this come from like just because I mentioned it and of course our phones listen to everything we say and do um I'll see just like a completely false article on some information related to like something that I've been looking up and I'm just like oh my god this is terrible so yeah I think I I mean it's easy for me now to spot things just because I think as writers we tend to be a little more um I think we aware. <laughs> I think reading yes. is a great um, skill that we that we probably have. <laughs> yeah, I think we're a little more aware than like the average person who just receives these, and it's really, really, really unfortunate for older generations that are hopping on a Facebook. They see these articles, um, they have these this bias already, and um, they will target age, income. Um, and so I think it's really, really important for seniors and the older generations to be doing that exact meaningful sleuthing because they're just receiving this information. It's on the internet. It must be true. Um, and it's, it's already, it's already, it's already very specific information that was placed there for them based on their bias, based on their, um, political choices based on their preferences and so they're like oh my god yeah of course this is true oh my god this is crazy I gotta share it share 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 and then it becomes this terrible thing that people like more people share it and it becomes this this just this like ball of lies that mm. is spread worldwide because they don't of, even read past the headline yeah it's that, just the head yep. many times and I think a couple platforms tried to overcome this, but I think Twitter did at one point where if you were to forward something that they go, wait, did you actually read the article? Oh, yes. Yeah, <laughs> Facebook does that too now, which I absolutely love. Um, there's like certain things that I would share that had to do with like something like Oceana or something. And I'm like, I, yes, I know. I know everything about them, but it would constantly ask me like, like, did you look at the date? And that's, that's, what actually was kind of made me like grasp that um it would say did you know this article was written in 2014 and then I was like oh <laughs> so, yeah well TikTok did um something went viral during the submarine you know fiasco and um TikTok is very inconsistent with its date stamps sometimes it'll show you when it was posted like three hours ago one minute ago June 16th right and other mm -hmm. times there's zero date stamp it doesn't appear and I don't know the rhyme or reason to why that happens but during the search uh for the the submersible right it's called a submersible 
I think. <laughs> okay. Cause it's like not a submarine. It's a, I don't remember, but, um, mm-hmm. there was another case of a submarine that imploded and they found the remains. And so that started getting momentum. It wasn't the same one, but when you would go and there's search functions now on TikTok, whenever you look at the comments of a video. And so it says submarine found you click on it and it's the way that it's presented. It makes you think they found the submersible. And of course that no one takes time to jump on. And eventually with hundreds of thousands and maybe millions of people on it, eventually one or two people get figure it out and then it kind of subsides. But by then, like there's a lot of misinformation by that time. And so I, I really wish, I feel like it's um, irresponsible that TikTok isn't consistent with their date stamps because you're right. I think ti- the timestamp is so important. It's so important. I, I don't have TikTok actually. I, I've never had TikTok and I probably never will. It's probably <laughs> good. <laughs> it's for the best. <laughs> That's what people say. People either say you've got to have it or, oh my God, uh, don't get it. Um, But I just, I, I actually don't have any rhyme or reason why I don't, but I just know that I won't. Um, but I think that's really scary and alarming to learn that just now. Um, because that timestamp is so insanely important. And of course you can falsify that you could totally use your little object eraser, delete the date, and then put a little new date on there. But when most people are actually looking at the date, they're going to do a little research and search those. And of course, you know, anything that's archived. Um, I think that's kind of the harbor we're in now, because even if there is a timestamp, you can alter it. Um, But with no date period, that kind of, I guess, phantom article freaks me out. But Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, this, you totally hit the nail on the head with this. This is the absolute most important sleuthing that people do on the daily and they don't even realize they're doing investigative work. That's a good point. Okay. We're, we're getting close on time. I have listener questions for you. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So there's not a whole lot of them, um, but we can discuss them. The first one is I'm, I'm guessing I don't, haven't seen the the movies or the books that this person has read or watched so i'm not fully aware of the context but the question is why do many of many of them meaning female sleuths work for hallmark (laughs) oh my god um i love that question because it's so funny um i (laughs) i feel like i'm gonna ask the same question with them and writers for lifetime i grew up on watching lifetime and that was before like hallmark got really 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 big in at least the last decade Mm -hmm. um (laughs) but they definitely they are dominating that writing field uh or at least that um area uh i wish that you know more people would be aware that they Yes, there are movies coming out every single day. For some reason, they have they must have a warehouse of Hallmark female writers um, <laughs> writing the stories <laughs> somewhere. And I don't know where they are, but I would love to be friends with them. Um, so tell me, is it because like, all these characters are female sleuths that work for Hallmark? Is that the context? Because I don't watch Lifetime. Um, I, I, you know, I don't even really watch... I don't watch either of them. So I guess so. Um, I guess back in the day, at least from my knowledge, it was mostly like 90% female. Yeah. Okay. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next question is, is there a difference between how male and female sleuths approach a case as portrayed in fiction? Um, Yeah, absolutely. I think that, well, for one, at least, you know, kind of going back to that gender bias thing I think females typically rely on their brilliance um to like uncover minute details that are usually often ignored but then men typically I think strength is probably one of their biggest things they'll physically go um and you know, that's the one thing about where female sleuths have to like combat that gender bias. Um, but I think, you know, like having that cleverness, 
um, to sort through the clues and suspects is a really amazing approach. You're interrogating like suspects um, a little better than like inter the police interrogators themselves and men just kind of go full force sometimes or at least often portrayed in movies and books they do full force come up they just come hard you know at it physically and females really rely on their brilliance i i was just thinking about how i would feel if i was sleuthing and i was i got a murder case i would be a little <laughs> hesitant to, to talk to the suspects because I'd be like, any one of them can murder me. Um, I would probably have to get pretty creative about that. I mean, I have no interest in sleuthing right now, but it just kind of dawned on me, like, would I have <laughs> the same confidence, right? To probably, and I probably resort to what you're mentioning, which is like um, more cleverly looking into the clues and kind of a more, not I want to say passive, because I think it's just as impactful, um, but rather than yeah. directly working with the suspects, maybe because like your own safety concerns. And I know, I know like there's always the argument for, you know, we, we should, we should be confident. We should not be concerned about our own safety, but I think the reality <laughs> of it is I still am. You know? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> there's yeah. There's no way that I'm going to go and start interrogating a suspect. Um, I would absolutely like rely on looking through the clues and looking at the suspects and like looking through their history. Um, and I mean, it, it is kind of sad, like, uh, but at the same time, I don't really have that desire. So I'm not, I don't think it's a disadvantage, but, um, but yeah, men definitely go out full force or like they'll break into people's houses and all these movies where they're just like, Hey, where were you this night? <laughs> you have a suspect who just potentially murdered like 10 people. Um, yeah, not yeah, doing they have it. to be badasses, right? Right. <laughs> Always have to be badasses. Okay. And then this last question is, was Nancy Drew the first female sleuth? And you know, I don't know the answer to the question. Do you? Um, I mean, looking at like Agatha Christie's mm. work, I would say no. Um, I don't know though. Um, that's a really, really good question. And I, I feel like I should know that, but I don't I know. I can tell you the first real female sleuth. Oh, um, I just Googled who is the first female sleuth. I forgot to say fiction. <laughs> it's kate warren employed by pinkerton's detective agency kate warren was america's first female private detective and was responsible for uncovering various plots to kill lincoln oh my gosh isn't that, that cool that is and that really was cool. um in 1856 oh i love that that is great that's that's good information right there i love that okay so then the first female fiction fiction yes okay so this just i put in google who is the first fictional female sleuth the very first thing that shows up in like enlarged letters it says in 1864 a little more than two decades after edgar Allan poe created the modern mystery form oh. the british writer andrew forrester jr introduced the first female detective character mrs gladden in the experiences of a lady detective Oh my gosh. I love that. That's so funny. I'm actually literally looking at one of one of my books. Let's see. It's Poe's. Oh my gosh. This is really, really old. So I'm going to put it back down, but it's Poe's po poetical works um, and kind of actually touched on some of that in there. So I lo was looking through it the other day. So that is, that's, that's also good, good information. I learned something every day. All right. So we've come to the end. And do you have any advice for writers who want to feature a female sleuth? Yeah, absolutely. I um I mean I can't I can't say that I'm like a um like that's my main thing just because my first novel was a um from a male perspective, but at least I can say for sleuth writing one don't be afraid to use the most widely used um, pinch point in your writing that um, I think it's like usually great for the second act using the old you're always one step ahead of us did you commit the crime kind of uh, stigma if you know your your protagonist becomes the suspect it actually makes it really interesting and I I feel like I don't see that a lot in modern work um, and 
implement that cur consistent curiosity, but also give the reader bits of what the hell moments. Um, tension is desirable and playing it safe sometimes can be a little too boring. Um, like you want it to be like a good slow burn at least with sleuthing, but, or you can make it fast paced. It can go either way, but at least, at least make the reader question everyone, including your protagonist, um, using that aged old, you know, you're one step ahead. Um, and then two, I, at least for female sleuth writing, I would say, think about what kind of woman you would like to see triumph and succeed at solving the crime. And then after that, then establish and work in all of her investigative skills. Because if she's likable to you, the writing will flow way better. Um, and there are a lot of novels that I've read that I just, I can't fall in love with the character. And that is above all the most important fragment of your story. Like the plot moves the story, the crime, but the character carries the plot. So she will carry the plot essentially. So I think it's really, really important to think of the woman that you want to succeed at solving the crime. That's some great advice. Uh, any yeah. final remarks to our listeners? Um, I, well, Etherealize, like I said, is coming out. That is going to have amazing dark academia vibes. There will be amateur sleuthing, new characters, lovable, lovable ones. There will be love, death, definitely a lot of whodunit moments. Um, and yeah, I just, I like happy reading. <laughs> and how can people find you? Oh, I am actually only on Facebook and Instagram and my website is bksweeting.com. I do, I am reintroducing my blog with a lot of amazing um, little writer bits in there um, featuring other authors and then news about me. And then my tags for social is at bksweeting. Speculative Sandbox is a volunteer-run podcast that relies on the collaboration of fellow creators like you. Join the conversation and participate in fun polls and questionnaires on TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter. Interested in being in a future episode? Our DMs are open, or you can email speculativesandbox at gmail.com.